0: What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined us today because today we have a very special guest. I'm excited to introduce you to Zach Carlin. Zach is a former three-time professional athlete turned entrepreneur. Zach owned and flipped over six performance facilities, scaled an online service company from five employees to over 200, and he's a consultant to companies like HP, ABC Supply, Tamco, car gurus, and more. And today we get to pick his brain and we get to share, or hopefully we get him to share his great wisdom with us. So let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Zach, welcome to the show. I'm excited you're here. Thanks for joining oh. us today.
1: Thank you so much. What a what an introduction. Thanks. That was incredible. I ah, appreciate well, you. that.
0: It's you. You're awesome. We're excited to have you here. We're excited mm. to share your wisdom and knowledge, your journey with the with our audience. And uh, I'm excited oh. to talk to him about your backstory. You have a very colorful history and all sorts of crazy things that you've done along the way to get to where you're at. And so let's start from the beginning. Give us the backstory. Give us all the juicy stuff.
1: <laughs> Ooh, the juicy stuff. All right. This is going to be one of those kind of conversations. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get vulnerable. Why not? Um, all right. Welcome I up. was uh, I, from Canada. Grew up in a really small town. Uh, population, I think when I was there, 900. I don't even think there was a thousand people there. Yeah, very small. Um, and it was one of those towns where if you weren't in sports, you were doing drugs Oh my and up until, well, it is what it is. And up until uh, I was about 17, I, I chose the sports. I was uh, a Canadian. So I came out of the womb with, with a pair of skates on type of thing. Uh, <laughs> during the summertime I was in, oh man, I, I did everything. I, I even went to, I went to provincials in badminton. I did hurdles in track. I threw javelin in track. I played baseball, even played football, Wow. Um, I got into I was a karate. I was a black belt in karate before I was 10 years old. Um, And then I started boxing when I was 14. Wow. And yeah, then when I was when I was 17, um, I'll I'll preface this by saying me and my dad have a great relationship and I love him to (laughs) death. But I was the youngest of six. Oh, so I think that. Yeah. So I think that he saw me as, okay. this is my last chance to have a kid to go to the NHL. So really really playing hockey was kind of his thing. Right. right no i i wasn't i wasn't a much of a the, the the team sport kind of thing i wasn't i wasn't much of it i really wanted to, to keep uh, sorry compete in martial arts right so i kind of rebelled a little bit and i uh, i wasn't they didn't let me compete in the martial arts because i would have had to drive to the city and the next closest city that had a good gym was about an hour away oh wow so at, you know at that age i didn't i didn't have a license yet at 15 16 so um I, I stopped playing hockey and then I, I kind of fell into the life of yeah, drugs. I, um, by the time I was 18, um, not quite graduating, not quite done with my senior year of high school. I ended up uh, actually getting kicked out of the house rightly. So I wasn't the nicest human being at the time, uh, but we live and learn and I was actually homeless. And, um, for about eight months, ish, time was a little blurry back then. But so, uh, but I, I had, a, I had a very good mentor. He was kind of the, wasn't the mentor. He was the mentor I deserved, not the mentor I needed, I guess, sort of say. Whatever the quote is from Batman. Right. Um, and his name was Gord. And to this day, I don't remember his last name. I don't think I ever knew his last name. His name was Gord. And he was my boxing coach. And he, there was a little, one of those tube slides right. in a in playground. And that's where I was, I won't say I was staying, but that's where I was at the time. And he, he knocked on it. And he slapped me in the in the my right my right calf and said, Man, you gotta get you have so much potential. Yeah, I heard it's the same thing I heard a million times. You have so much potential, why are you wasting your life? All oh, that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I I am I'm stuck. I don't know what to what to do, right? Because everybody's like, you need to go get a job, you need to do this. And if you were that low, just getting a job and getting your own place and that kind of stuff, it seems so far away. It seems right. so insurmountable and impossible that i knew at the time you you're just like okay if it's so far away i'm never going to achieve it so i might as well just not do anything or keep doing what i'm doing right now right which is a terrible mindset but that's how i felt at the time and he was like he and he said something i'll never forget this but he said man i'm not talking about getting a job let's go buy you a shirt and that weirdly enough it was that moment that kind of changed things for me he's like man just just go buy let's go buy a shirt And we went around the corner to this little rinky dink store in in town called Bargain Store. And I bought a $5.50 red shirt that had a a weird smiley face on it. And that's what got me out of it. I got the shirt. He got me some lunch. I started applying for jobs, got a job as a lifeguard. And then from there, I started competing in, in martial arts more full time because I had the money to travel to the city. Um, and then about a year later, I was, was kind of I was, I was out of it. I was I was in a, I was in a better spot. I was making some money. I was competing. I had about five or six amateur fights at the time. And then I had an opportunity. Uh, I had a sister that moved to Las Vegas. I thought, well, now this was in 2007 or 2008. This is when Vegas was still kind of the mecca right. for martial arts, right? That, right? That's where it was. And so I had an opportunity to go and stay with her for free. So I went from a nine hundred population small country town in Alberta, Canada. Wow. Everything I had, had a little bit of money saved, and I moved to Viva Las Vegas. Wow. That was a culture shock was an oh, understatement. Yeah. But I was told that if I could survive the first six months moving to Vegas, I'd be just fine. So I said, ah, I could probably survive. I've survived worse, I thought. And I have. Um, so I, had, yeah, I moved to Las Vegas when I was 19 and I fought professionally, uh, trained with some of the top at the time, the top fighters in the world for that era. Wow. Um, and I competed until just right after I turned 23 until an injury took me out and I ended up getting forced. had to got, I, I tell people I got kicked out of the country when really I just messed up on some paperwork. Cause when I got, when I got injured, the promotion I was fighting for, they were the ones keeping me in the country on a right. uh, visa and then they dropped me cause I was injured. And uh, I ended up getting, I got a letter in the mail saying I got to leave the country. So I used oh, to tell people, like I got kicked out of the country. I wouldn't tell them why though. They were just you know, a <laughs> great, great first impression. But yeah, and then I, so I ended up having to move back uh, to Canada. And that's where I kind of started my entre- entrepreneurial hobby. But then I, that's when I kind of switched to my second sport I became a professional in, which was called fitness racing or CrossFit.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And then I, that, but again, that's where I started to, because the gym I got into, they, it was, it was, a small gym, a small CrossFit gym I had about, you know, 100, 100 to 150 um, customers or clients there. And uh, they brought me on and I kind of started, you know, after about six months, I became kind of the head coach because fitness was always my thing. So I was, I got good at it pretty quickly. Right. And then I started managing it. And then I was competing at the same time. And then I won a couple competitions. So I bought into the business. I bought into it so that I could work out, you know, whenever I wanted, I could dictate whatever I wanted. I could start to grow it a little bit. And then I started getting very obsessed with how do I, how do we grow this thing? Right. right? Cause when I wasn't, when I was trying to recover from working out three times a day, I, that, that's, that was, that's where my head went was, how can I, how can I grow a business like this? This is all so new to me. And also it was just, it was nothing that I really thought that I could ever do. Cause I would always, I was just the athlete. I right. put myself in that box that this is all I'm going to be good at. If I'm going to be successful in life, it's going to be me using my body. It's going to be right. me competing. And luckily it wasn't me getting hit in the head anymore. So that was a good shift, but <laughs> I, I kind of put myself in the box. So this was kind of the hobby for me, right? right. It was like It was like other people were playing video games and that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, how can we diversify revenue streams? How can we package? program so that you know we are getting uh, more revenue per per client that we were bringing in how can we market this a little bit better that was when Facebook and um, Facebook was starting to blow up a little bit more and Instagram was out there how can we use content to bring people in um, so I just I got obsessed with that and then I learned really quickly that you know a business relies on the people that you bring into it so I started looking into okay how do we attract good people so good compensation plans give them good opportunities for growth so I just a lot of that stuff it just fascinated me but again my identity that I gave myself was attached to an athlete. So all this other stuff just right. a hobby. So I ended up, um, getting pretty good at it. In 2015 I was actually seventh fittest man in the world. Um, wow. Competing on a pretty big stage. Yeah, it was really cool. I got to travel, travel to Brazil, uh, compete in Brazil, France, Dubai, um, Australia, all over the U S all over Canada. So it was really, really cool opportunities. So, my hobby of being a business owner, which doesn't go don't really go hand in hand very well, so I had I had to kind of I had to leave that. So I actually sold my share of the gym and moved on um, wow. to another another uh, facility and ended up just buying into that one. And then I did the same thing, <laughs> right? We diversified the revenue streams. We brought in other services, so supplements. I had I had sponsors um, that would give me supplements, so we we partner with them to bring in supplements. And then again, I, I learned a little bit more diversified the revenue streams, learned how to sell, right? Learned how to teach people how to sell, um, learned a little bit more on how to bring this online. Um, and again, we were able to get uh, that gym. So my second gym, that it was called Infinity Five Fitness. And before I had left there, sorry, before I had joined, uh, we, they were doing about $9,000 a month, something like that, which was just enough to be green, like just barely breaking even kind of thing. And then by the time I left or about six or seven months later, I think it was, we had we had a couple eighty four, eighty four 84, 84, $94,000 months. month. So we were able to, to 10 X pretty quickly just by a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales, a little bit of, you know, diversifying the, the, the revenue streams, renting out rooms. I had good relationships with, you know, chiropractors, massage therapists and that kind of stuff. So, you know, right. then you start to look at, okay, how can I optimize per square footage? Cause time is we ran out of time we can only fill up the gym for so long right, right. so now we got to, okay now how can we utilize all the square footage and then i did that with four other gyms i did that with four more other gyms um while i was competing and then it got to the point where i had my daughter was born um so i got an opportunity to come on with one of my sponsors at the time to open uh, a fitness facility for it was a fitness equipment company so right. we started the the fitness facility to kind of cater you know complement uh, the the brand and then we got that running on its own right again using utilizing everything i had learned and then we focused on building out the fitness equipment side of things we really wanted to compete with uh, rogue so they're another uh, fitness equipment uh, company we really wanted to kind of take a lot of their market share in canada and we were able to grow that from about 1.8 million and then by the time it was about a year and a half almost two years later we got it to just but just over 20 million Um, wow at that point. And it was just, again, it was a lot of just, again, it was a lot more B2B. So I, got, I had to learn how to sell, sell to businesses. Now um, right. I had to learn how to sell to organizations. So we, a lot of um, companies, organizations were putting on big competitions. So how do we sell to them so that they can utilize our equipment and their competitions and then create, create marketing deals um, that way. So that was my big, that was my kind of my first soiree into building big teams and having to diversify my teams. Like I need a marketer now. I need, I need PR. I need, so they need sales like I can't be doing the sales anymore. I am competing at the same time and so I really had to learn how to put people in place and put processes and you know right. operating procedures in place so they could run on its own while I go and beat myself up in the gym some more um, <laughs> so, and then we, we had we had some differences in uh, who we wanted to partner with so I ended up actually making the decision to move back to Vegas I had that's where I had met my wife previously my ex-wife my now ex-wife. Um, and we just had my daughter, like I said, so we, we decided to go back to be closer to her family. And that's where, as you stated in your lovely introduction, um, I joined a, a company and we built their online presence from, there. I think they started about five or six of us. And then by the time we had finished, there was a little over 200 of, of us coaches and managers. So we, we had scaled that pretty significantly. Um, and then I got the opportunity just after COVID, we kind of lost everything. Actually, when COVID so we, we took a lot of the money that we had there and we invested it into, we wanted to open our own facility in Vegas just before COVID. It was a terrible timing. We, <laughs> jumped, we dumped a lot of money and time and resources into starting this fitness facility in Vegas just before COVID. Right. Well, COVID hit and we lost absolutely everything. Oh, so I gosh. actually I actually had to get a job uh, as a customer service rep for Netflix to keep the lights on for a bit. Right yeah. So when and our son was just born, it was, it was a mess, but, um, we're great, great pain comes great. You know, uh, there's on the other side of it, you know, there's, there's opportunity. So I had met my previous, um, my previous, uh, co-founder with me, uh, partner. And we started a company called next play. And that's where we started working with other companies. We started consulting with like the Hewlett Packards and, Utilizing a lot of the the procedures that and, and processes that we have and coachings and consultings, right? Um, and we, we got to work with a lot of really cool companies, and I learned a lot in those first two years, just from a marketing standpoint, from a coaching and consulting. How do I take what I've learned and then package it into a framework and then implement it into other businesses, other businesses that have a very different way of running? So then, right. how can I take our framework and not just put it somewhere, but how can I take that framework and mold it so it works in you know, very seemingly different ran businesses, industry sizes like Hewlett Packard. So we actually worked with a, there's a sister company of theirs called Zerto and they were 300, 400 million dollar company. So I had a pretty big sales organization. So we had to take a sales and le- sales leadership framework that worked for $50 million company. And okay, how can we tweak it? How can we apply it and make it work for you know a much bigger organization? So we, we learned a lot. We learned a lot. And then some core value differences pushed me out of there um, or made me make the decision to uh, right. make the exit and move over to Arkansas. And uh, that's when we started summit chasers.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, we don't want to under undercut summit chasers. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute mm-hmm. and, um, and dig in. I appreciate you sharing all that. I have so many questions for you mm-hmm. along the way. And, and uh, what a cool journey. And, and, and a lot of ups and a lot of downs along the way. I feel like there's a lot of that with, with entrepreneurs, right? There's just such a winding road. And so many times it's, it's about just kind of rolling with the punches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you started off your early on in your story about, about becoming a black belt and uh mm-hmm. doing uh fighting professionally. Mm-hmm. And I want to start there because I feel like there's, Like you, you kind of passed through that and yet I feel like there's something there that, that we want to, I want to really draw out, um, you know, professional athletes just they're, they're different breed. There's a a whole different, uh, mentality when you become a professional athlete and you get paid to do what you do. Mm -hmm. But I, I have this incredibly high respect for professional fighters because you're you're not only getting paid to be a professional athlete, but you're you're putting your life on the line every single time you go out and you fight. And like you were saying jokingly, oh, it's better than getting hit in the head. But I I'd, I'd just love to hear some of the perspective of what it was like to get in and fight, and how you how you got yourself psyched into doing that. Like how did you get worked into the place where you could go in and fight and know you were putting your life on the line and and your training and all that stuff? Like that just seemed that's just like next level to me. I, I just don't have a perspective of that.
1: Well it's true. It's it's nuts. Um <laughs> I think a lot of it was well like like I had, I had said previous to that, you know, I was in survival mode. Um I was coming out of you know being an addict and homeless and that kind of stuff. So that's that's what got me out of it right so that's that's all i i'm not gonna say it's all i knew but it's a lot of what i knew and it's a lot of what i trusted because it is of what it's it's what got me out right so in my head it was okay if i just get really good at this and i do this i'm gonna be fine right right so but the the, the mentality though like the training and, and the camaraderie on the team and you know being able to beat the hell out of each other and then you know and then be brothers or sisters <laughs> Afterwards, you know it's it's a it's a special thing, right? Um, but also, <laughs> yeah. the, to your point, though, the shift of a mindset to where it goes from preparation to execution is it's much it's different. It's different because right. even even in business, like you're always preparing and executing, like constantly, like it's just you're going back and forth all day, preparing, executing, preparing, executing. Um, but when it comes to competing, there's a lot of preparation to a very short window of execution. Right. So that that build up to that, it, it's it's intense because if I had a and I always said the shorter my fight camp was, the better I fought. Because right. if I had a 12 week camp, then my it, it's so exhausting because you have a singular mindset. Right. Without, without the release. You know right. what I mean? Like if you're in, in business, if you're you know, I want to I want to implement a new marketing tactic or I want to try and, and adjust something in my sales in my sales um, cycle or I want to try a new software or whatever it is, you know, there's you're you're, you're testing and implementing all the time, right? And, and you're able to see kind of the fruits of your labor, you know, not right away sometimes but you're able to see it where when I was competing it was I have 12 weeks of just <laughs> getting my ass like just prepping, eating perfectly, staying in weight, getting my ass kicked all the time, learning new things, staying motivated to this right, singular yeah. thing that that could be, you know, 3 4 months away. So it's exhausting. Right. Um, but to your, to your question, you know, the mindset of, you know, when the, when the cage closed, right. I never found an octagon. It was always the, the circle. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain it, it, when you're in there, like it's blurry. You're the walk up the 20 minutes before you get called is the worst part of the whole thing. Really? Your, your heart is just pounding. You're, you're going through, you're trying to stay positive. You're like, oh, what if I get knocked out? What if I get embarrassed? All my parents are here to travel all this way. What if all this stuff I did was for nothing? And then right. the, the promotion I was fighting for, it's not around anymore. It's called Superior Cage Combat. I got six hundred dollars to show. And then if I won, I would get eighteen hundred or twenty it was 1800 was between 1800 and 2500 bucks. So wow. if I lost, like three quarters of my purse was just poof. And I did all that work for six hundred bucks. I think the most I got was about fifteen hundred dollars to show, and then it was about three thousand dollars for a win. Wow. So it was it was it was pretty nuts. So like wow. we, could, we could put on, you know, a crazy show, a war, and then uh, you lose a split decision or something like that. Two thirds to three quarters of your purse is gone. So that wow. fighting that is in your head. It's it's tough because you have to keep if you keep focus on that, you're already lost. You have to focus on the task at hand. Yeah. Right. So you have to focus on you. What, what can you control your game plan that you had, the, the film that you studied? And back then there wasn't a ton of film because YouTube wasn't <laughs> what it is today. Um, right, right. a lot of these guys, I wasn't fighting, you know, sea fighters, you know, some of them have gone on to, to do great things, but I know I wasn't fighting guys that were, you know, there's a ton of footage on them anyways, but um, you, you had to stick to your, your game plan and what I was what, like, what your, what's your strong suit, the things right. that you worked on. Um, and then on the walkout, you're losing your mind. You're absolutely losing your mind, but there's no going back now. There's absolutely wow. no going back. There's no going back. And if there's a fighter that says that they're not scared, like they're either they're lying or they're legitimately something wrong with them. I'm not going to diagnose anybody here, but there's something right. wrong with them. Right. Um, but once that cage closes and they've made the annou- announcements and it's time to go, it you're just in. Ideally, you're just in flow. Right. You're just in right. flow. You get you, you get hit a few times, and it's it's funny because actually getting hit in the face doesn't hurt that much. It it looks like it hurts. Getting kicked right. hurts. Getting kicked in the legs hurts more than anything really that's actually the worst part of it yeah huh. as far as like immediate like sting and pain that's what hurts the most but getting hit in the head doesn't once you get hit in the head and like kind of your, your skin starts to numb a little bit it's actually it doesn't it's not great i don't recommend it <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't hurt right you don't really feel right. anything anyways you have so much adrenaline but you have to stay calm focus on your game plan just focus on what's what's right in front of you and just get into flow as quickly as you can and once you once you get through the first one or two minutes, if you haven't had a big adrenaline jump dump and you're you're tired and your legs feel like lead, yeah. Like usually, usually it, it actually was fun at that point, you know. Unless you right. lose, and then that's not fun. But right, um, right. It yeah. Like it, and we've asked. I've seen a lot of fighters get asked that question before. Like, what's it like? when You're getting locked in the cage with somebody and they're trying to kill your life's on the line. Once it gets going, and and you're, and you're warm in there and you get loose, you start to sweat a little bit. It's really like you're just you're just in there. Training, it's just like a really hard sparring session, right? But right. that right. 20 minutes beforehand, well, you're throwing <laughs> up, you're losing your mind, you're questioning why am I here? I should have, I should have graduated high, sort of went to college, <laughs> <laughs> like all this stuff. But yeah, once, well, once it's so I crazy because
0: from watching from the outside, it you know, watching you guys walk up to it looks like you're just like no problem, like yeah, you're just absolute gladiators, and you just look at it and you go, how in the world are they? Calm. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like from the outside. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you ask some of the best of the best that's ever done it, like George St. Pierre. He he was terrified before every fight, terrified. And when he's going up there, he would say, like, "I'm losing my mind. I is it's every ounce of me not to turn around and run the other direction, (laughs) walking through the tunnel." But then he goes out, and then he's the best of the best, like pound for pound, arguably one of the pound for pound greatest fighters of all time, right? And it, like you're constantly battling that, but it's it's those that can put that aside, right? And and perform that are the best, and that, that's yeah. a huge part of it is the mental game. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what I want all of our listeners to do right now is pause the episode, rewind it, go back and listen to everything that Zach just told us, and instead of instead of putting in going to a fight, put in running your business instead of that and realize that 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 is it. Like I, I can't I I, I mean, I, I and I don't mean to even remotely compare the that in terms of the fear that you have. But I, I do I do know that for those that have never been in a fighting ring and will never be um, like to to those of us that are running businesses and we're doing our launches and you're, you know, for those of you out there listening and you're about to run a launch and it is make or break and we either do this or we're gonna die. Like that's, that's literally it. No money, no house, we're gonna mm-hmm. lose everything. And this launch has to work. I, I feel like there's this, <laughs> people hear you and they hear you showing up to this, to this launch and they think, that you're calm and cool and everything's good in the background, you're just like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, I- I'm gonna lose it all, you know. And and I feel like there's a lot of correlations, but what do you feel like from those days specifically? Cause you've you've had quite the colorful journey and there's a lot of areas we could focus in on. Uh, but what do you feel like from your professional fighting days? Hmm that you learned the most? Like what was the number one lesson from those days that you now use in business on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, that's, oh my God. I I could, we could talk about that for hours, but I think the biggest (laughs) one is like, that's a sport. And I think this is with a lot of sports too. But in training, like you want to lose in training, right? Like you want to get your your ass kicked in training. You want to try things and it not work out because if you're not doing that, you're not pushing enough. You're not trying enough. So I think in business, and one of my my favorite authors, Jim Collins, um, from Good in his book Good to Great, um, or sorry Great by Choice, he has a an awesome kind of quote or or, um, I guess framework. It's called like fire bullets, fire lots of bullets, and then find what what works. And then once you find something that works, you fire the cannonball. Right. Right. So you you test and measure a lot. And if you're not testing and measuring, you're not pushing the envelope and trying things and being okay with like calculated like you have to fail in order to you, know, you have to try things and you have to fail but do it calculated and, like you don't want the failure to be catastrophic right right like i am not going to go try some crazy move in training and potentially blow my knee out or blow my training partner's knee out or anything like that but you're still going to try it just like in in business i'm going to try these marketing tactics i'm going to i'm going to try a new a new way to you know do you know paid ads right i'm going to try new headlines i'm going to try new ad copy i'm going to try new email email copywriting whatever it is and i'm going to put some money into it i'm going to try it i'm going to test all these things i'm going to bring the data back i'm going to learn from it i'm going to find what works best i'm going to explore that and i'm going to fire my cannonball right right so same thing when when i was fighting and training is i would i would try all these things cuz you you never know like i might have a natural athletic tendency to be better at this i might have a natural tendency to be like i was never a guy who was gonna like win by you know submission or like ground and pound because i'm from canada i don't know how to wrestle like my only wrestling i knew was i held the door open for brett the hitman heart one time Like <laughs> that was, you know what i mean um like, i got fairly good at it but it wasn't it wasn't gonna be my thing right so i had to figure out i had to try a lot of things to figure out okay i'm gonna be the guy who stuffs the takedowns and gets back up right right i'm gonna try a lot of these things right? I'm going to find what works for me. And then I'm going to get really good at that. Right. And same thing in businesses, I'm going to try a lot of things, find out what works for us. And then I'm going to do that. But a lot of business owners, especially when you're in, you know, a, a fragile time in your business's, you know, life, life cycle, you get scared to try things, or maybe you found something that works. It's worked for you so far, but I'll, uh, you know, what, what got you here was not going to get you to where you want to go most of the time. So you have to be okay with Okay, things are going great right now. This is the time to push and try other things. Fail a little bit, right? Do try a lot of things. Fail a little bit at each one. Find what works and then shoot the cannonball. So I think I think that was a, a big one is just failure, just being okay. Not right, that anybody right. can be really good at failure, but you know, getting <laughs> getting good at overcoming, getting good at learning from failures, probably. Right.
0: Right. Well, I think that's that's so important because you know, you look at marketing math in general, and most most of the time i would i would say that most new entrepreneurs getting in have no clue what the general marketing math is i you know i was listening to one of our mentors talk about infomercials they used to create mm-hmm. and you know one out of if if one out of every 8 infomercials that they spent millions to create and get prepped and get on tv mm-hmm. if one out of 8 succeeded they counted themselves like massively mm-hmm. successful and i'm thinking one out of eight and that was millions of dollars and you just had to wonder whether you were that one or whether you were that seven or whether you were that one mm-hmm. right and yeah. and wow what a risk right like i'm mm-hmm. going to put millions in and and this may fail and mm-hmm. this may not work out but if i hit just one out of the eight then mm-hmm. i'm good and i think there's a lot of marketing math like that in different industries you got to know your numbers you got to know mm-hmm. it in paid advertising you got to know it in in infomercials and mm-hmm. email marketing and whatever it is that you're doing. And, and mm-hmm. I, I wonder, did you guys know that at the time? Like, did you know in your fights, did you know the, the, the statistics or were they not doing that type of statistics back then? No,
1: back then it was, uh, it was not like that. <laughs>
0: I think, I, I think no. I'd rather not know. I mean, like, yeah.
1: Well, Cause again, if I could do, I could do some background. Like I think, you know, if, if I fought a guy who had, you know, eight to 10 fights, you know, I had, I had some stats. Yeah. Right? but the thing is, like we're dealing with humans, it's a little bit different. It's, it's <laughs> unpredictable. Like I, right. I, I, I fought a guy. I, I made this mistake. I fought a guy who had about eight, eight or nine fights. I can't remember. Um, not a great record, but I think he was like four and four, five and four, something like that. But he had a, a year since his last fight, so I was basing what I knew of him from a year ago. So oh, you can wow, improve wow. and change a lot in a year. Right. So I was going in thinking like, okay, he's just gonna wrestle me. He's just gonna try to lay on top of me. Right. The whole time we got in there and I was like, damn, this guy can kick and box and stuff. It was, it was, it was a lot, it was different, right? It was, it was, you, it's, you can, um, you, you, you do your best. I think with a lot of it is, is just the fact that you're doing it, you're paying attention to it and you're getting in a rhythm and you have your own process of paying attention to the math, right? to the, to the perceived outcomes. Because even, even if there isn't a perceived outcome, still get in the habit of doing it, measuring everything. Right, because it's all it's all about mitigating risks. There's always going right. to be a risk, right? And when you're first starting out, it might be you know you, whatever first thing you try in marketing, it might have a 10% chance or 1% chance of of succeeding, right? Yeah. But as you get better at it, and you get in the rhythm, and you get that process and procedure of testing and measuring, and the knowing what data to look at, and then understanding kind of what you know the market tells you where you're going to succeed at, and you know you, you start to know that stuff better. So it goes from a 1% to now, okay, now it's 20% right and then you get better at it again like okay now it's now there's a 50 percent chance this is going to succeed you get better at it again okay now it's 70 just as this is going to succeed and then you might cap out at 70 percent, or you might get to 72 72 and a half percent right like at that point you get to that point a half percent makes a big difference right um, but it's getting in that habit and, and getting that skill of being able to test and measure and identify there's one of there's a podcaster um one of my favorite podcasts to, to listen to the diary of a ceo and he was saying that he, when he's doing a podcast, he has a button that he presses, I guess, under his desk. And it sends off the transcript to his team. And they literally use AI to, they, they kind of, you know, take apart what they've talked about already. And they test like hundreds of headlines, hundred, hundreds of hooks to see what's going to work best. Right. And then they, they find what, what works best. And they use an out, like there's a, an algorithm that they use. I don't, I didn't, it was just, I was so interested in it, I just kind of got lost, but, um, and they, they're constantly testing and measuring what headlines are going to get the best click rate on his podcast. And he's doing it all the time. He's like, we do this now and I'll, I'll, I'll know what works for the next three months. And then after three months, I probably won't know again, but three months later, I'm going to know. Because they have that good, they have that process and procedure of always learning, always testing, always measuring, and then always applying and not yeah. being scared to just maybe this three months, we're going to try something new and it might not work.
0: I love that. Yeah. Um, well, gosh, I could continue asking you questions for ages. I, I'd love to know more about the, your CrossFit times, and I'd love to know more about the process uh, you know, that you went through to get to the point where you started Summit Chasers. But I do want to jump to Summit Chasers straight away, and I want to talk a little bit about what that's all about. It's your newest venture. It's the new thing that you're up to and and what you and your partner are currently doing. and And I'd love to hear more about it and have you share more with us about what you're doing, what you're up to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. So this we really started Summit Chasers. So I, I have, everybody here knows now. I have a pretty unconventional background, right? And I, I worked with a lot. And this is one thing I noticed. I worked with a lot of business owners and founders, and, and even you know CEOs, whatever it is, um, that, that have the unconventional background. They they got into it. They started the business because they identified a need. They identified a problem, and they were good at what they did, right? Whether it was in sales, installation, whatever it is, or whatever it is, right? They're they're techies they're very good at their in their lane they're like i could do this like i identified a problem I identified a gap in the market i'm going to start a business and then they they wake up one day they're successful and then they wake up one day like oh crap i have an organization i need <laughs> this is this is different i can't just i can't just solve my problems by innovating my product i can't solve my problems right. by Getting better at servicing my clients, I can't grow my business just by selling more, which usually is the detriment, right? I can't get better at it by marketing better, because then that's a whole other problem. If you can't service the people that you bring in, and they right. don't, they're, they're kind of like oh, everything. Everything has to work together, and I don't understand the other seven eighths of my business and how it's <laughs> how it's supposed to run together properly, right? Right. So, and I identified that as as a pretty big need, and I kind of got obsessed with that part of it. We call it like business foundations, right? Like setting your your company up for long term success, right? So, how do I bring in talented people? How do I develop the talented people? How do I, you know, create a how to create a goal, and then how do I backtrack that goal to create you know a strategic flow and how I'm going to accomplish that goal, and what do I need along the along the path to get there? Um, so, we created Summit Chasers to kind of be that guide, and with a mission of. I think there's about 32 million small, small to medium sized businesses in the U.S. There might be a little bit more now. And over 50 percent of those go out of business in the first was it two or three years, yeah. I believe. And then out of those businesses, 80 percent of them don't see five million dollar a year mark, which really isn't that much. If you're a if you're a prod, if you sell a product with high overhead, like high cogs, high cost of goods sold, that's really not that much. Right. Like that's 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 almost nothing like you're barely breaking even at that point. Right. Right. Um, so we I, and and I, again, I see I read I can't remember where I read it. I'm going to have to remember that, but I can't remember where I read it. But it was that some of the biggest innovations, some of the the, the, the innovations that really pushed us forward in a lot of industries came from small businesses. Right. It came, it came from these businesses that had had the passion had the gusto. They, they could take chances that these other big businesses couldn't couldn't take. So in order to, to compete with a lot of them, they had to innovate. They had to beat them by innovation or they had to beat them just by working harder, right? Which is getting more and more difficult with technology moving faster because then that technology is doing a lot of the work for us. So a lot of these innovations were coming from these smaller companies to compete with these bigger companies because they could take the risks, right? But we're seeing a lot less, uh, the, the statistics are that there's more and more failing. Percentage-wise, there's more and more failing all the time. So we have kind of a mission of we want to change. We want to put a dent in some of those those numbers and, and create a, a community where it's it's a little bit more expected or much more expected for small business owners to to grow and, and scale and succeed um, instead of instead of it being you know an anomaly. So, right. right. So that, that's kind of where, where summit chasers come from, and we have we have a framework where we we start. You know, we we, we got excited because you know summit. It's, it's an acronym for kind of our framework. So the S is start with you. So we do a lot of personal development. A lot of these, you know, including myself, I had the imposter syndrome. So you know, I can speak, speak pretty candidly on that where we have a lot of limiting beliefs. A lot of business owners do. Like I, I didn't get a degree. How am I supposed to succeed? I only know how to sell. How am I supposed to do this? I never ran a company like this. I'm not supposed to. What are these people doing listening to me? Right. So we do a lot of personal development. So we start with you and then we work on the you is unifying your team around a common mission or collective goal. Um, so that's where we really we really work with companies to kind of discover their core values, their core principles, and then unify their team around that so that you have a team that's all kind of rowing in the same direction. Right. And then the M is kind of map out your path. So that's where where do you want to be right from five or 10 years from now? What is what is your company need to look like in order to achieve that? So what does your organizational structure need to look like? And then we backtrack that to, OK, what do we need to accomplish in this, this next quarter? And we set we set very tangible goals. And I kind of attribute that to my uh, my mentor, I guess Gord, uh, who said, "Like I was, I was freaking out because like I'm not, how am I supposed to get a job? I, I don't, my shirt has holes in it. Like what am I supposed to do?" He's like, "Let's just go buy a shirt. What's the next thing you got to do?" Right. So that's that's where a lot of these business owners are like, oh, like "I have this goal, but it's like so far away. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing." It's like, "Let's just buy a shirt." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's like, what do we need to accomplish right now? Right. That's the premise of it. And then the second M is make a clock. And that comes from one of my favorite quotes from Jim Collins, which is um, we, we want your company to, to work like a clock, right? It should It should just be all the cogs should be working together. The cog that's over here, there's a direct correlation to how the cog over here functions, right? So documenting all your SOPs, um, identifying leaks and opportunities, creating roles that need to be created or taking roles out, like making making it an efficient machine, right? So that, that's the second M and then. The I is increasing your talent density, so that's where we really look at: okay, who do you have? What type of development process do you have? How do you source A players? Because one of the biggest, the biggest indicators of a successful company is how do you source and how do you develop your team. And as companies grow, one of the big, sometimes one of, one of the big reasons that bigger companies lose their cultures is because they constantly have to hire A players or key key players, sorry, from the outside and you keep doing that you're over time, you're going to lose a little bit of your culture. Every time you start having, okay, I'm going to go to this other bigger company and I'm going to headhunt somebody from there Well, they're bringing over all that baggage and then it's harder to hold them accountable. So you start to lose your culture. You start to lose the buy-in over time, right? It's a big indicator of valuation is your ability to bring people up in your own company and good development programs. So that's what the I stands for is increasing your talent density. And that's where we usually spend most of our time is make a clock and increase your talent density. And then the T stands for time to scale. That's where we start looking at identifying other revenue streams, bringing in marketing, marketing tactics, sales ta- tactics, and all that kind of stuff. But we put that at the end because if you don't have the others, it can't sustain the increase in marketing. Right? If you have ten thousand leads, whereas before you're only able to support a thousand, like more leads isn't going to be. That's not your problem. <laughs> right. 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 Or more sales isn't your problem if you don't have the infrastructure and people, and the ability to bring on good people to support the fulfillment process. You need to you know fulfill on your service or you deliver your product whatever it is right so that's kind of the, the premise and the framework that we created over at Summit Chasers
0: I love it I love it well that's uh, i there's so many people i'm sure that are going to be interested in in connecting with you and learning more and mm-hmm. and starting to follow you on on this incredible uh journey you're on how can people connect with you and how can they they get in touch
1: uh linkedin i'm i'm pretty active on linkedin i love it over there is that carlin Z-A-C-H-C-R-L-I-N and then Instagram or Facebook Summit Chasers Network and then we also got a YouTube um, channel Summit Chasers Network on there and then that's where our podcast is going to be we got our podcast coming up middle of December nice. we're hoping that we're hoping to get that yeah we're hoping to get that to about 30 30 um, I think we're at about 20 but we're hoping to get it to about 30 recorded shows before we nice. launch um in December so that'll be Summit Chasers podcast and we got that going up on anywhere you can listen to podcasts
0: Awesome. Well, that's amazing. I am so excited to go and listen to the podcast and and hear what you guys are doing and and be able to follow along and cheer you guys on on your journey. Uh, You guys are doing some incredible things and and it was a pleasure. For those of you that don't know, we also had uh, Zach's partner. Uh, Adrina on the show too, so go listen to her episode. Uh, that was super fun, and you'll get to hear a different perspective and a different yeah. uh, uh, side of it, so that you can hear uh, both of what they're up to inside Summit Chasers. Uh, Zach, before we let you go, do you have any last words of wisdom and advice you can leave our audience with that they can uh, they can go and run with?
1: Yeah, I think uh, kind of to go off, you know, my like you said colorful background and one of the mistakes that i i had made up until fairly recently actually is i didn't give my past experience enough credit to my success today and i think if you even if you don't have you know the degrees or that kind of stuff if you if you do have a degree that degree um the, the schooling the education that you got there it kind of overshadows some of the other experiences that you've had so give give the experiences that you've had in the past credit because if you don't, you're shutting off all the great things that you right. can take and apply today. So um, th- that would be kind of a big one I'd, I'd leave people with, I guess.
0: I love it. Well, we sure appreciate you joining us today on the show. And uh, it's been super fun. I know we could keep talking for hours. It's so easy. That's why we ended up here <clears throat> doing this show together. Uh, guys, thank you so much for showing up to listen and, uh, and enjoy the podcast as usual keep choreographing your business, all parts of your business. It's important. Stay focused. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care.
1: Thanks for joining us today.
0: Want more business choreography?
1: Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more.
0: And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember,
1: every business needs choreography.